you know, it's all about the storytelling. This weekend we went camping and we shot a whole bunch of footage and everything went wrong. You know, um, mm. the bees were attacking our food. Um, <laughs> you know, we, I was blown, like, you know how you blow up little air mattresses yeah. well, we're borrowing everything. And then, um, I ended up blowing this air mattress up that turned out to be an inflatable pool. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we ended up sleeping in an inflatable pool. You know what I'm saying? Um, the wind was blowing. You know what I'm saying? So you capture all this different stuff. And so I could break it down and make it super short. Um, but the reason why you don't get bored is because I make, I make sure I don't stay in one place too long where it's not, you're not learning anything or it's not entertaining. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Um, and I use music a lot to transition the scenes. Welcome to the Breaking the Glass show with TQ Sinkungu. Together we'll dig inside the success stories of people of color and share those stories to inspire you. Then we'll break down their path to show you what they did so you can learn from their wisdom and follow in their footsteps. Welcome to episode 8, Glassbreakers. I want to thank you for the continued ratings and reviews on iTunes. Your ratings and reviews help me move up the rankings. That'll get me into the new and noteworthy section. I think if I get 50 reviews, I can make it there. If you want to leave a review, just search iTunes or in Google for TQ Breaking the Glass, and it should be the first link that comes up, and you'll see my podcast. Find me there and leave a rating and review. My conversation today is with Glenn Henry, but I've always known him by his artist name, Belief Melanin. Belief is a creator of a show called Belief in Fatherhood, an extremely popular show on YouTube that's doing some amazing things. He grew up in an abusive home. His parents divorced and he stayed with his mom in Baltimore while his dad moved to California. But at a dark time in his life, when he even contemplated suicide, Belief reached out to his dad who encouraged him to come out to California and start his life over. While there, he connected to a church in the local area. And as a Christian, he got involved in the music industry, eventually becoming a popular rap artist. I met him with a show that I put on for a number of years out here in Los Angeles called Rhetoric. It's a large Christian spoken word poetry and music show. We have over about 3,500 people come to the show from all around the world. Belief did both spoken word poetry and music and performed him at this show. He's married with two sons and one daughter and was living the life as a traveling music artist until one night his wife asked him what his five-year plan was. He didn't have any answer she didn't appreciate it, but he got to work right away figuring out what the answer should be, and it resulted in a clear mission and a 15-year plan. This mission was so powerful that it led him to do what he's doing today. His mission is to equip fathers, give hope to mothers, and inspire children. And with four broken iPhones, he's made an amazing YouTube channel. That just goes to show that the power is in the story where you get to see him as a dad just trying to get it right and learning from his mistakes. He's got some really funny kids, a wonderful supportive wife, and on the back of that passion, he's built his channel from a standing start with zero subscribers up to over 65,000, and it's growing fast. His success has resulted in brand partnerships and sponsorships with companies like Best Buy, HelloFresh, and Microsoft. One cool thing in particular happened when he got a picture of his son placed on billboards all over the world on the shot on iPhone campaign by Apple itself. He's building on that to do cartoon characters, to write children's books and speak to audiences of all ages, which is right in line with his 15 year plan. And it goes to show the power of mission. 
and the importance of telling a story. Please enjoy my interview with Belief Melanin. Belief, welcome to the show. Yeah, man. Thank you so much for having me, man. I'm um, glad to be a part of what you're doing, trying to change the narrative. Uh, We both have a lot of uh, ground to cover. You know what I'm saying? So I'm just happy to be a part. Yes, sir. And um, and I definitely, you know, I've known you um, a little bit peripherally for for a while and then a little bit better for the last couple of years. And we're getting to know each other better now. And and I'm looking forward to people understanding. um, We talk a lot of times to people who work in the corporate world or or different types of entrepreneurs. And now we get to see another type of entrepreneur that you are in the entertainment business. Um, but let's start with a little bit of a lightning round background. Uh, Belief, why don't you talk about kind of how you came up? What was life like for you as you were growing up? Yeah, so I'm uh, from originally originally from Baltimore, Maryland. Grew up in a single-parent home. Um, my mom and dad had joint custody, so uh, I would fly back to back and forth to California uh, for the summers, you know. And uh, life for me was... Basically, just really, really cool because it was like it wasn't like a lot of drama. You know what I'm saying? At first, I think the first nine years, my mom, like as the only child, she like really loved me. And then uh, at after my brother was born, it's kind of hard to figure out how to love me alone. You know what I'm saying? So uh, I became like a punching bag for her. And um, abuse was kind of the main story and identity I would uh, navigate from. And so around the age of nine, I became suicidal. Uh, well, not, not really suicidal, but having suicidal thoughts. And so, uh, what that brings is a lot of like massaging these negative thoughts into your brain. Um, a lot of struggling with, uh, trying to figure out how to enjoy life. You know, I used to pray to God that he would just remove me from the earth so that I wouldn't be a burden to my mother anymore. Right. And uh, I, I grew up that way for some time. And then uh, around the age of 15, I, I kind of told my dad what was happening with my mom. I moved back to Cali for a couple of years, junior high school. Um, I'm sorry, it was, uh, it was like 11, you know what I'm saying? 11, I moved out. And so I spent some time in junior high school in, in Cali, made some friends, and then me and my dad started beefing and moved back to Baltimore, but I was bigger. Um, when my mom would hit me, it would hurt, you know what I'm saying? Because I, I knew that if I ever went back, I would do push-ups and stuff like that, so I wouldn't just be this kind of a pushover. Um, and so, you know, moved out, 17, moved in with my grandmother, and just kept wilding, you know, like fighting against my dad's relationship, my mom's relationship, just kind of this like um, this ragtag type of kid, you know what I'm saying? Who didn't really know where he fit, didn't have a safe place to call home. My my issue originally with my mother uh, was like, yo, I'm sp- you're supposed to be the most comfortable place for me and this this safe haven for me, and you're like my worst enemy, you know what I mean? And so yeah. from then, it really didn't matter what anybody thought about me or uh, I, it didn't really, I, would, I, would, I didn't have any alliance to anybody. And so I, I had a hard time like appreciating people and relationships. Right. Uh, and so around that age, 19, I moved out, moved into a car uh, and just kind of like started sleeping in my car and became like really suicidal. And that's when I like, one was my first suicidal attempt 
while I was driving on the freeway and I, my plan was to like crash into this, this median, um, that was this free, this freeway still in devo- development on the 795, um, in Maryland. And so right when I'm doing this, I'm thinking about all this stuff. And then I realized I hadn't talked to my dad in years and he would be the only one who was confused about why I was going to kill myself or whatnot. And so I decided to call him and just tell him where I was at, you know what I'm saying? And so that's when he kind of reached out and was like, yo, like, it was like the first time I heard him cry. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. He was like, yo, um, if you, if you're feeling like this, it's, it's of course nothing I want you to feel, but I want you to know that if you want to come out to California, you can come out here and start over and just moved out to Cali. I uh, met Ruslan. Uh, he needed a DJ. I wasn't really down to be a part of his band. But I didn't have anything else to do because I had to wait a year to get residency to even go to college. So for that first year, 2005, I started like DJing for Ruslan and rapping a little bit. You know what I'm saying? But it kind of took off. We kind of got popping as the breaks. Um, Yeah, that's what I remember you. I think I saw you at that time. So what year is this about? This is 2005. 2007 like during okay. this time was the breaks the, the manifestation and we got some good looks and came up uh became we was on the raucous 50 which was like the fi- 50 next big artists of this you know the next decade or whatever and so uh raucous was the record company that like first signed eminem talib like all those guys back in the day right um and so yeah man like we we accomplished a lot and then uh I kind of, I got married in 2010 and I came to this point where I was like, man, like my relationship with the dudes I rap with and my wife are in the same position. You know what I'm saying? Like what there's, position was that? that was like, you, you know, if I had to check my schedule, I had to call my wife and then I had to call Ruslan. Like right. there was, they, they were at the same place. You know what gotcha. I'm saying? And it felt weird. It felt like I was married twice and I was like, man, this ain't right. So I was like, you know, I'd rather just do my own thing. And so I started doing solo stuff. Um, and then, uh, we actually came back together as the dream junkies in 2013. Yeah. And, uh, I started mentoring my wife's little brother, who's John Gibbs. Okay. And, um, That's yeah. Cool. And so, yeah. So we started doing music together and music was kind of the thing. And then I decided that it wasn't. You know, in order to be successful in music, you got to travel, you got to go all around the world and make uh, money on the road. And then once we had our first kid in 2013, it just felt wrong for me to be away from my family. And so the more music got popping, the more it would require me to be away from my family. And it just felt like so wrong. You know, yeah. it's not where I'm supposed to be. So I, I was think like, that's you know, around the time when I knew you, like you were performing at the show we put on Rhetoric. A couple of times, yeah. yeah. You and Ruslan performed together one time. Yeah, and you did a piece by yourself a couple years later. Yeah, and this is like now we're 2013 to 2015, where you're talking about you're coming to this realization that tr- being an artist on the road is not the way you wanted to live. Right, and so um, once I came to that point and I started, my wife was like, "Yo, I want you to stay home with the boys because she's a math teacher and she makes more money than me." Yeah. Uh, I was like, okay. And so I started doing this thing called belief in fatherhood, which is, you know, capturing the life of a stay at home dad. And that's what kind of blew up most recently. Yeah. And we're similar in that. Cause I, uh, I, I worked 
and that my wife is a doctor and you know she became my sugar mama just like you you know um, yeah when we had kids my mother-in-law was going to take care of him but she had a stroke and a seizure so she couldn't take care of him yeah and um and so we made the decision that i would stay at home and take care of my kids um from whenever they were born and for me it was 2011 and and it sounds like like people always told me you know and, and i think people say this because it's this day and age i'll put little blog post i mean i'll put little uh facebook posts or pictures up of what i was doing with the kids because initially i don't know about you but initially um i felt like man i'm supposed to be out doing something i was used to working yeah i was used to you know being out there and now i was at home and i love my kids but it was a little disorienting to so that's all that you do. I remember one time specifically where I, I asked my wife, because she no, knew more about kids than me. I was like, how long will it be till he can talk? And she was like, <laughs> oh, about 18 months. I was like, 18 months? So <laughs> it, it's going to be a year and a half till this dude even talk to me? Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. So so I was at home, man. But then I started putting up pictures and people were like, oh, you should start a blog. You know, you should or you should do a, a video series. But you actually... You're a person actually did that. You started putting your life as a father on video for everyone to see. So yeah, what made you decide to do that? Well, it was one of those things uh, in 2015. It got really weird. Um, I'm sorry, 2014. I put out my album called Red Pills and Black Sugar. It was a solo album, but it was really dark and depressing. It was about suicide. It's about depression. Most of the stuff that I dealt with in my teenage years and in uh, young adult years. And I was kind of like trying to tell people this story, but I didn't really get booked after that you know like i put out this really heartfelt album but it was good to listen to but um you know youth pastors wasn't bringing you out to go perform and talk about suicide you know what i'm saying right so um when i started when i always post pictures of the kids and videos of the kids and like the truth about what was happening during that time you know the amount of um engagement it got was was a lot more than when i put stuff about about the record Mm. um so uh, it was my manager at the time, E. Kim's idea to like, yo, you should start something weekly for people to tune into. And then um, I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then and I guess um, we should say like real quick too, when you say youth pastors, you're saying that because you were doing your music in the Christian context. Primarily. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I wasn't like really trying to get booked for youth events, but that was like the lane you know what i'm saying yeah. um and i at the point to feed my family i take anything right um and, and so, so Kim said you should start doing something weekly yeah he said he said i should start doing something weekly and so did like 15 other people you know but i didn't know what that meant and so uh during the time of me finishing my last album i, I edited my first video my music video for my album uh which was suicide Road. and so it took me like a month and a half to edit it but i really liked the process um and then my wife at 30 years old, 2015, it was May. We were laying in the bed and she was like, yo, tell me a bedtime story. And I was like, uh, I don't really feel like telling you a bedtime story. I'm trying to go to sleep too. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, like you want me to right. sit here and imagine, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not doing that right now. So she was like, okay, well, tell me your five-year plan. And I was like, oh, you know, whatever God has for me, I guess. And then she's like, uh, you know, I trust you with my family and my future, and you don't have five years planned out. Right. And she rolled over Uh-oh. and went to sleep. 
Uh-oh. And I'm sure you and, went right to sleep too, right after that. No. Like, no, like slept no. like a baby as soon as you said. <laughs> <laughs> nah, I, I stared at the popcorn ceiling. I got up. I went into the garage. I started researching five-year plans. I, I, I couldn't really sleep for like a week. I just was so mm. distraught. And then, um, I, I hung out with a guy who asked me always, uh, tough questions. His name is Scotty James. And, uh, he basically reformulated the questions in a way that would help me come up with a process and a plan. And so he said, uh, what's your five year plan? I said, I don't know. That's why I'm here. He said, what's your 10 year plan? I said, I don't know. And he said, what's your 15 year plan? And I said, well, I know at the age of 45, I don't want to be rapping anymore. Right. I said, okay, well, what do you want to be doing? I said, well, I want to be, a songwriter uh, and I want to tell people how great it is to be a parent. You know, he was like, what does that mean? I was like, you know, like speaking and through books and stuff like that. He was like, okay, well let's work backwards. Where are the people that you want to be speaking to? Right. And I was like, what do you mean? He was like, where are they? And I was like, oh, well they are on the internet. You know, they're probably like 13 years old right now. And I was like, okay, cool. So, um, and he said, okay, cool. So, where are they on the internet? And I was like, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat. And he's like, oh, well, all we have to do is figure out how to build those platforms. And in 15 years from now, you'll probably be in a, a better place, you know, to speak to these people. Right. And so basically that's all we did. Uh, mm. We figured out how often we have to post on each social platform to build a following. And, um, we just looked at like the blogs and best practices and saw that like if we put out four or five tweets a day, one Instagram post a day, uh, one video a week on YouTube and you know what I'm saying? And so my numbers were different. My numbers at the time, 2015, 4,000 on Instagram, uh, 4,000 on, in, uh, Twitter, 400 on Facebook, no YouTube, no Snapchat. Right. Uh, t today, those numbers are drastically different. And so, um, yeah, I saw the last I checked, you're up to over 60, like 65,000 on YouTube. Yeah. From a standing yeah. start. And I don't know if people can appreciate, cause I, I was, uh, you know, the channel that I helped run with P4CM when I first started paying attention, it was at about 60, 65, 66,000. And now I think it's around 150. Mm -hmm. Um, but that was, we started in 2009 when nobody was doing YouTube stuff. Yeah. You started in 2015 when people already had like 15, 20, 50 million viewer or subscribers. So yeah. to build it from a standing start to 65,000, what do you think, what are some of the things that you think you did to help you get there? And I'm saying it because there are people out there who they want to be YouTube stars, some of them, but there's some legit people who have the same thing like you. They have an idea that they want to get their message out. And, or they want to be in a sort of entertainment business. And the avenue there now is through, like, if you look at um, Issa Rae, she built her whole media start off of a YouTube channel. Yeah. So what are the, some of the key things that you had to do, some of the key skills or mindsets you had to do to get from there at zero to here, plus blowing up all the rest of your social media? Um, I've been trying to develop this for a minute because I haven't really came up with the mind frame yet because I've been so like nose to the ground and like digging, you know? Yeah. Um, but I feel like a couple of things that I thought about was, um, the story, you know, it doesn't matter what type of equipment you have. It doesn't matter the camera, the lighting, the audio, it just is all about the story. And, um, the, the story of a stay at home dad is like, yo, 
you wouldn't believe me if I told you. You know what I'm saying? Like you wouldn't yeah. believe this happened to me unless I recorded it. So I did. Um, and it's almost so funny because it's like you're embarrassed about what happened to you, yeah. you know, but uh, no one will believe you. So you just record it. And so that was one of the things I knew that I had a really strong story. I'm trying to be present and keep saying, be present and keep saying while I have two little boys that don't care anything about me. You know what I'm saying? They, they care about what they want, but I have to love them. You know what I'm saying? More than it's, it's just like a really complex thing. And then when the kids kind of grew up, they had this personality that was just funny. Like the kids are entertaining by themselves, you know? Right. And so I don't really think that it's much to do with me besides just the capturing of the footage and the telling of the story. But mostly the, the kids are, are, are the marketplace. They, they're, they're the ones who, uh, they're, they're the, the cash cow, I would say, you know what I'm saying? Not that we're making a lot of money or anything like that. But well, everybody, story- everybody thinks they got funny kids. I think there's something about the way you're putting the story together itself that makes a difference. No. Y- yes, I would say so. But everyone's kid doesn't talk this as early as my kid did. You know what I'm saying? So my, my kid would say stuff to me um, that was kind of like, what? Like, what made you even think of that? You know what I'm saying? Um, or like give me an example, uh, you know, so like, um, you know, one time the kid, uh, I'm like, Hey buddy, you know what today is? And he's like, no, I don't want to do it. And I'm like, well, you don't even know what I'm about to say. He's like, no, I don't want to do it. You know what I'm saying? He's two at the time. And I'm like, today is, and he's using sign language to say, no, stop, stop. But he's saying it and using sign language at the same time. And I'm like, it's potty train. And he's like, no. You know what today we're going to do is. No. No. Potty train. No. Potty train. No. No. Today. No. Today. Stop. Today is all about the potty train. Ready? No, no potty train. The kid, like, he's very socially aware. Right. And his his little brother's a sidekick who um, is just completely different, but also like a really good like co-host. Uh, <laughs> it's just interesting, man. Is that for it, real, though? Or is it like you aren't just making it look like that with the editing tricks? N- no, bro. Um, there is no editing tricks. Uh, most of it is just me capturing a moment. Um, I'm not like cutting in and out of scene and say, hey, say this. Like, it's just them. You know what I'm saying? When, when my son is trying to explain himself and he's in trouble and he goes, uh, I'm just so meritated. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's a line that I can't teach him to say, you know what I'm saying? Like he says it and I just happen to capture it. Um, and so the, the, the hardest part about it is capturing the footage without, uh, seeming like you're not there. You know, because right. most people are like, I don't want to c- be all about capturing it. And then I miss the moment and then I can't experience it ever again. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, uh, they think it's it's a choice between capturing footage and being there. And that's so how not do you true. do that? How do you how do you strike that balance? Well, the one thing I always do is I always have my phone on me. We all always have our phones. You know what I'm right. saying? And so it, to and open I guess up we should phone- say like you, the equipment uses. I remember I, at least I, when I watched it, you using a bunch of iPhones to make your show. Broken iPhones broken iPhone. that's right broken iphones yeah so you know the, the 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 car scenes is you know two broken iphone 4s's 
smash between the headrest and the seat. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Facing the kid. And so as they talk, the the, the one thing that kind of set me apart was the subtitles, the way the subtitles pop up on the screen when the yeah. kids would say things, because it's hard to understand them. So I'm like, I should just go ahead and, um, you know, say the subtitles, but the closed captioning, <laughs> it closed captioning, but it comes up with every word, sometimes right. every syllable. And yeah. it's in their favorite color and kind of like this chicken scratch font. So, you know, it's cute. And um, I love that, especially when you do the question marks, because you don't you don't even know what they're saying. Yeah, man. You know, and it's it's really hard to understand them. And the one thing I always thought I was going to do was like grow out of that. Like, oh, one day that people are going to understand what the kids are saying. And I won't have to do these subtitles anymore, but it's become a staple in my video. So I can't even really post a video without the subtitles right. or people get mad, you know. So you're you you always have your phone on you. How do you still manage to maintain the balance between you don't want to interrupt the scene, you don't want to be separate from the scene, but you do want to capture the scene? Yeah. So sometimes when my kid starts to talk and he goes, um, you know, I have a real problem. I go, hold on real quick. And I'll like turn on my I'll, I'll open up, I'll swipe up, you know what I'm saying? And click the, the camera, place it next to us and just say, what? I have a problem. This is my problem. You always eat all the cookies and then you don't share them with us. And that's not nice. You know what I'm saying? Like scene, (laughs) you know what I'm saying? And that's it. Um, most of the time I don't, I don't, most people who film stuff, they look through their camera lens. They look through Mm. their iPhone screen. I put it on my chest. So it's not even like I'm, I'm just capturing whatever I can capture. So do you actually have like a harness that you put it in? Uh, sometimes it's rare, but yeah. sometimes I do like, you know, to catch like B roll, but not to catch like those authentic moments. It's just like, I just happen to have my phone on me or sometimes I don't have my phone or my wife, you know, my wife has become a, a huge advocate as well. She's been like finding time to like, you know, I'm going to get this because Glenn is going to love this. You know what I'm saying? Right, um, right, right. So has she always been like that. Has no, she always at first. wanted to be part of it. No, at first she was like, I don't, you know, she's, you know, she don't want people in her business. Right. You know, she doesn't want to be the example, you know? And, um, the challenge was like, yo, we are light. We got to shine. You know what I'm saying? Like people don't need examples. They need proof. You know what I'm saying? And we are already proof in our communities. Why not be it for people abroad? Right. Right. No, that's really real. So what is it like, um, whenever you capture these moments, I still think, because we do that sometimes at our house too, right? Like I'll be in the grocery store. And that one of my favorite videos I've done for myself is we were in the grocery store and the kids are just wilding out. But then I just started to have fun with them, racing the carts down the avenue, you know, down the aisles. Yeah. And so we recorded it and put a little thing together and put it to music. But um, how do you, sometimes it's boring, you know, like you think it's going to be cool, but then it's terrible. How do you weave it together into because it seems like every episode you put out has a, a narrative a story that's trying to tell how do you weave it together based upon events you don't know that are going to happen in the first place yeah th- that's the hardest part um i think the, the the cheat code and this is like nobody knows this but um in order to make a story go well i tell the ending first mm. so you know at the end of the day or at some point in the day, something is going to happen and I'm going to catch it on camera. Uh, like, so say if like we're hanging out and then all of a sudden the kids start fighting and nunchucks come out, swords come out, you know what I'm saying? And they're like really going at it. Yeah. Um, 
I'll say, okay, I'll shoot that. And then the next morning I'll make it look like the morning before. Got it. You know, you know what I'm saying? So they'll wake up same clothes. I will have breakfast and I'll be like, Hey, we're going to go to the park. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. We're going to come home and fight. You know what I'm saying? And then it's like, all I do is slide it over from the day before um, to tell the story. I think that's the hardest part about doing the YouTube channel is that uh, sometimes you're sitting there trying to find a story. It's like listening to a beat and trying to find a concept Um, or or watching something in the marketplace and seeing how it connects to a certain audience. Uh, It's all about storytelling. And that's the, that's the challenging part. That's the, the, the Rubik's cube, you know, type thing. And I think that takes a tremendous amount of creativity in you. Do you feel like you're just a creative person that way in terms of storytelling? Is it something you developed? Um, I think there is this, uh, I don't know if you know This American Life with Ira Glass, mm-hmm. but it's a pretty popular show on NPR. And he's he's like a renowned storyteller for the show This American Life, wins all kinds of awards. And it's spawned yeah. all types of other shows. Great, great, great storyteller if you want to study that kind of thing. One of the things he said, though, is you just got to tell stories and do it bad for a little while and do it a long time and, and put hard work into it and you'll get better. Is it yes. that for you or is it you feel like you have an innate ability to kind of tell stories based upon your experience in music and whatnot? Um, it's You know, it's it. I definitely don't think it's like the gift to gab, something I have. I think it's something that I work at. Yeah. Um, something that's really challenging. Sometimes it's easy, easier than others. Uh, what's cool is that if I have five hours of footage, it's cool to, it's easy to pull a cool 10 minutes out. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, it's all about the storytelling. This weekend we went camping and we shot a whole bunch of footage and everything went wrong. You know, um, mm. we, the bees were attacking our food. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, the kids, uh, you know, we, I was blown, like, you know how you blow up little air mattresses yeah. over barring everything. And then, um, I ended up blowing this air mattress up that turned out to be an inflatable pool. So, <laughs> so we ended up sleeping in an inflatable pool. You know what I'm saying? Um, the wind was blowing, you know what I'm saying? So you capture all this different stuff. And so I could break it down and make it super short. Um, but the reason why you don't get bored is because I make, I make sure I don't stay in one place too long where it's not, you're not learning anything or it's not entertaining. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Um, and I use music a lot to transition the scenes. Uh, when we listen to music, it's usually in transition. We're cleaning, we're driving, we're running, we're working out. Um, and we're in transitioning from one place to another, one lifestyle, one body type, whatever, to another. Um, and we use it as kind of like this soundtrack. And so I use music as a soundtrack to take you from one point of the video to the other. And that's the cool thing is like, I'm not trying to rap anymore like as a career and I still want to make music, but I found a way to use the producers in my life and the relationships I've, you know, manifested to turn it into something that benefits the vlog. Right. Right. So I think if, if somebody wanted to be good at storytelling, not, you know, jacking what you're doing, but I'm saying if they have their own story, they're thinking somebody, 15 people have told them you need to tell that story. Um, Aside from, you know, being able to stay in the story without messing it up. What are some things that you think are key characteristics that would make a person be able to at least give themselves a chance to do well um, and succeed like you have? Um, I think the overall story is I'm not the perfect dad. And the proof is every video shows that in a different way. 
Um, it's a very wonder years type thing where I, I go through something and then I self reflect about how I could have been a better or how we can improve as a people. The story isn't each video. The story is the entire thing. And me, I'm the story, you know, the 15 year plan is the story. Yeah. And so when someone's watching and someone's like, yo, I'm in it for the long haul. I want to see this dude become a world renowned author and a, and a orator speaking to children uh, all around the world about being parents. You know, I want to do that. I want to watch this. Like some people are in it for that story. Some people are in it for one episode. Um, but I think you got to allow people to get on and off the train and on, on and off the bandwagon um, and fall in love with the piece that they love because it's going to speak to them in different ways. Um, some grandmas listen to it. Some 12 year olds listen to it and they're like, yo, I don't like my dad, but you make me excited to be a dad. I never wanted to be a dad. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Yeah. And so I can say back into him in the comment section, yo, right now you're preparing to be a father. Yeah. So, so live like it. You know what I'm saying? Um, um, you know, the, the, it's, it's just way bigger than you think. Uh, we have to be patient with the story. The story is very delicate, but it's something that grows in the process of life, you know? And so when my kid becomes 18, 30 years old and our relationship is still good and we're not mad at each other at Thanksgiving dinner, then the story is complete and it's a success, you know? It's not about raising, uh, you know, well-behaved children. It's about raising equipped men and women. You know so, what I'm saying? Yeah. And so I guess as a person speaking to somebody else who who wants to be a creator like this, a creative person in terms of their their life pursuit, it sounds like you aren't saying much about, you know, here's how you got to study hard at Final Cut Pro or Premiere or you got to get the cuts right or catalog your footage the right way. I don't hear a lot of that in your, um, and what you're saying is making you effective. Right. I hear, I don't hear a lot of the technical piece. I hear a lot more about the heart of where people should come from. Is that, is that right? Yeah, I, I believe that because the talent is something that you can improve. Um, what you can't improve is the story and how committed you are to it. You know, um, your heart toward the issue, the why is super big for me. You know, it's all about the why. The why is like, what's your goal? You know, um, my goal is that fathers would see my videos and want to be in their children's life. Yeah. Um, equipping fathers, giving hope to mothers and inspiring children. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's the story. And that's what I'm committed to. And yeah. the truth is that will never be accomplished. So I will never be successful, but I fight like I will be, you yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, and that's the, and that, and that allows me to say, you know what? I don't feel like doing these freaking subtitles and these captions, but I'm going to do it. Um, yeah. that allows me to say, you know, what? I've been losing a lot of footage lately. So I'm going to invest in a, uh, you know, eight terabyte hard drive so that I can store this footage so I can bring it up later. That right. allows me to say, I'm going to get better at these cuts. Now I'm going to get a final cut and stop working on iMovie. I'm going to get a bigger camera. I'm going to, you know what I'm saying? Like it allows me to fund the story because it's becoming the, the centerpiece. Right. Yeah. And I think you, a lot of people say, what's your why, but you're giving a lot of body to it that you, it's, you first got to come up with whatever your mission is. And then the story and the how, will come behind it. Yeah. Yeah. The, 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 why, once you find out what it is, um, and then you see the real, like, uh, 
what is it? The reaffirmment of like just people needing it. You know, like you think about gang culture, like that family is everything. Yeah. People want to be in family, but, and so they can't, if they don't rock with their family, they choose other families to join. People want to be, to change their identity because they don't like where they come from. You know what I'm saying? So they say, like I used to say, I am abused. I was abused. That was a part of my identity so much yeah. that I couldn't let it go because it fueled a lot of my passion toward hip hop and a lot of where my bars came from. You know what I'm saying? But like, if I take that identity away from myself and say that, you know what? Like I'm a child of God and, or I'm a father, it changes everything. Cause I know that I'm not just a father to my children. I'm a father to everybody I run into. You right. know, I have the heart of the father. So it's like my why is super big and every day it grows. Yeah, no, that's really good. I think um, there's a couple of, I know, like tribal leadership and then the membership economy talks about folks being a part of a movement that you're building and developing. And mm -hmm. it sounds like uh, just the belief in fatherhood, which is your series name, is the movement that you're developing and kind of inviting people to be a part of it. Is that is that fair? Yes, very much fair. What so? What about the technical though? Let's just give a little bit of the technical for the people who are saying, "Yeah, I get it. Belief. I have a mission. I have a story, uh, and I and at the same time, I do want to learn." So, what are some like? What are some key tools that you think people should have in their toolkit if they're going to be a storyteller with a video, um, and then on social media the way that you have? Um. I think it's so hard because the technical aspect is just so about preference. Yeah. You know, it has very little so, to do with. Then tell what us I, what you use. What about what you use? Yeah, so sure. So I use um, Final Cut Pro is my the, the, what I edit on. Uh, it's the software that I like to use because it allows me to import media fast. It allows me to export fast. If you use Adobe Premiere, it's like three times as longer than uh final cut so everything for me is about productivity and speed yeah um and after a while you develop quality but i'm all about getting stuff out fast you know um and so that's why i love final cut pro is because i can export a video that's two gigs and it takes seven minutes if right. i use adobe premiere that's going to take an hour and 20 Right, you know, right. and so then I got to go sit down and watch, you know, the, the office four times or <laughs> go, uh, you know, cook dinner or something like that, which is going to throw my momentum off. Right. Uh, but if I go, if I use Final Cut Pro, it allows me to take eight minutes and respond to Instagram posts or post a picture here or do this or that or, you know, and I could go right back to it, upload it. Like it's all about speed and productivity. Yeah. Um, I, I, and, I, and that's why I prefer the iPhone over everything. Uh, the iPhone... I'm I'm not a videographer or photographer, so getting a Sony A7S is going to take a lot of time away because it's a learning curve and it's a bunch of specific th stuff. I don't know. So but are you? So you still use iPhones for most of your footage? I prefer. I prefer yeah. to use it. My iPhone current. My current iPhone is broke, um, but I still use it in every video mostly. Yeah. Um, mm. Sometimes my friend will let me borrow his ADD. Um, I have a Sony Ace. Um, so I have a Sony. RX 105, which is like a little flip camera. Um, but I prefer the iPhone because, uh, you don't have to worry about focal. Um, I'm sorry, focus. Uh, you don't have to worry about saturation and stuff like that. It just adjusts so quick and smooth and it's compact and it's always on me. Right.
And for the story you're telling, it's it's about being there at the moment to be able to make it the most effective. The story I'm telling is about being present. I got in an argument with my friend the other day because I was like, yo, like he's like, you know, trying to tr- transition. He's like, yo, I just put on my first resume because music isn't working. And I'm like, yo, like just tell stories about you being a dad like I do. And he's like, well, I don't want to, uh, you know, not like I want to see my son take his first steps, not be recording it. And I'm like, well, if you get a job, you're not going to be able to see it, bro. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> like I think people think it's a choice and it's not. But, you know, some people don't want to put their kids out, out there like that. And I totally get that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, okay. So any other tools like uh, how, how how many okay, social media? Okay, go ahead. Go for it. Gimbal. If, if you if you have an iPhone, the, the cool thing to do is get a gimbal. Um, and it's basically going to be a stabilization thing for your iPhone. So all your shots could look super smooth. Uh, in California, that's a plus because we have a lot of very beautiful scenery, um, beaches and palm trees and stuff like that. And when you're weaving in and out of these uh, different uh, uh, scenes, it's it's just a great transition piece. Um, you have music, a specific one. Which one do you use? I use this this um, I, you know, I would say use the DJI. Uh, what's the one? Uh, DJI. Uh, no, no, it's a stabilizer. That, that's a drone. Um, okay. So it's 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 a dang, I forget what it's called, but it's it's DJI. It's the only one they make, not the Osmo, but the other one. And okay. so I wouldn't use the one I have because the customer service is horrible. You know what I'm saying? So I won't even like say their name. You know, um, but uh, the DJI one is going to suffice perfectly. Uh, you can set up an app with it, so your phone, so you can actually record, press record through the gimbal. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Which is really dope. Um, the other one I use is like you got to open up the phone and tap it. And then if you want to flip the screen, you got to stop recording and then flip the screen. But with DJI, you can press a button on it and it flips the screen to your face. You know what I'm saying? Got it's it. Dope. Got it. Any other things that are key? Like, uh, um, a Final Cut Pro in your iPhone, man, you could change the world with that. That's and really nice. Like as, you could be as, a, a big time producer with 300 bucks of Final Cut Pro. For and sure. Everybody's got an iPhone. Yeah. Like you or can. some smartphone. You know, and I think people overthink it. Uh, right now, I'm overthinking it a lot because I'm more into, I'm getting more into textures and colors. And I want to, when I'm doing my food for thought and I'm cooking some fish, I want to be able to show the, the texture of the salmon. You know what I'm saying? I'm cooking and all types of stuff. Like I'm really getting into it now. And also I want to start doing, telling other people's stories. So I care more about what I'm using. I'll say the Sony Alpha 7 R2, man, is a good one. I know it's old. But it's quick. You don't have to worry about focus. It gives you good quality photo. Just my two great. cents on that one. That, 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 that's a great camera. Um, one thing I like about uh, something like the 80D is it has the flip out screen. Yeah, uh, that's yeah. really important when you're vlogging. You know, and yeah. I don't do a whole lot of like you know in front of the screen type stuff because I have subjects to record, which are my kids. But uh, you know, but anything that you want to use is perfect. So another part of the what we try to work with or talk about on the show is, is having to deal with bias. And you talk about that topic in multiple, multiple ways. I mean, your name is belief melanin. So, you yeah. know, like color skin colors right in your, in your name. Yeah. Um, but in, in the, in the realm of production and video, um, have you had to deal with any kind of bias yourself that you faced? Um, and if so, what, what does it look that look like? Yeah, well, you know, obviously I have an affinity, you know, toward black people. You know what I'm saying? I, I, 
I feel, you know, like when you look at your kids and you realize they're going to have to have the same struggles you, you went through, um, you, you go from trying to like get through the thickets and over the obstacles to like cutting down trees and thickets and planting new, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, you're like, I'm not trying to get through anymore. I'm trying to clear the way yeah. and I'll take all the shots, you know? And so I realized the importance of that and, and the true viewers, the audience of my show are my children. You know, that's yeah. who it's for. It's yeah. like home movies uh, that they can go back and watch. And, you know, if I pass away, they won't have albums like photo albums. They'll have movies to watch. Mm. Um, and so that's really big for me. And so I do a lot of stuff like research things from the black perspective, research things from the parents perspective, the father's perspective, because these are all things I am. Um, I had a conversation with a police officer who's a black police officer. And I asked him like some really tough questions about, you know, his, his career, you know, and like, do you feel more like a police officer? Or do you feel more black? You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah. How do you feel about, you know, changing the community and, and, how can we as fathers prepare our children from interacting with the police? Like all these things I speak from this place of who I am. However, I know that these aren't things that I actually am, but these are the things I'm faced with. For instance, um, I know that I'm black, but that's not my primary identity. My primary identity is the soul I have inside me and the fact that I'm a human. You know what I'm saying? I feel more of a child of God than I do black. However, people don't see me as a child of God. They see my skin first and they're going to attach that and associate that whatever they have experience with that. You know what I'm saying? So um, they see me as black and they know black people do such and such and such and such. And so that's the narrative they tell themselves when they see me, when they see a little black boy, like my sons, they love the, it's like almost like you remember, you remember when on Lion King when Timon and Pumbaa found uh, Simba, yeah. And he's like a cub and he's like, oh, maybe he'll be on our side. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? It's like, it's almost like this thing. Like when people see little black babies, they're like, oh, this is before they turn into bad people. Right. You know what I'm saying? Um, before, you know, we start clutching our purse before we start. And so I'm, I'm like, yo, there's no difference between him now and him at 15. He's still the same kid. You yeah. know what I'm saying? But the thing is how you perceive him is different. You have know? you faced that yourself? Like, have you been in situations where either you perceive that for yourself or for your kids, that kind of different way that people look at, look at you? Yeah, for sure. You know, I watched, you know, um, I watched John come up, you know, um, and I've, I've known stories about him because, you know, I'm married to his sister, John Gibbs, the rapper. And so yeah. uh, watching him navigate through certain social things, I watched him, uh, you know, grow up in a church and some of the people in the church would assume that uh, he was teaching their kids to do negative things when he was just kind of like allowing them to do it in his presence. But that's what they wanted to do. You know what I'm saying? And so he right. was like the black sheep in church. You know what I'm saying? And uh, it really like rubbed him the wrong way and, and, and kind of got him like to look at things. as more like, yo, there's kids out here who ain't really thinking about pulling their pants up. Like they just want to go somewhere where they're loved. And you sit up here telling cats they can't wear a hat in church. Like, you know what I mean? So it's like, I've watched that. I remember. Is this, you're saying he's his people group, maybe black people, people of color that are acting a certain way. And they're thinking he's influencing them to do certain things. He's just comfortable around them and letting them do what they want to do. Exactly. 
Yeah. But so, he's, he's getting stigmatized for just being in their presence. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and so he's the bad guy. And so I watched, you know, I remember when I turned, um, I think I turned like seven in the, like I will always wave at the police officers because I was like, man, police officers are dope. You know what I'm saying? This is before I was, you know, I knew anything about anything that was happening in, in the world really. But I was like, man, like I love police officers. And every time I see them, I say hi, they wave back. But after a while, they stop waving back. Yeah. Um, I start to fit the description more of someone who could do harm at seven years old. You know what I'm saying? And I'm seven. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, you know, imagine like just feeling that way and know, knowing like, oh, yeah, um, I'm, I'm, I'm a black man. You know what I'm saying? My mom told me that when I was young, she was like, yo, you have two strikes against you. You're a black man in America. You know what I'm saying? And I was like, man, that's a real jacked up thing to say to a kid. You know what I'm saying? Like that makes me paranoid as hell. Right. But uh, after I got older and I realized some of the prejudices and some of the racial issues I was running into, I was more thankful for my mom. And now I'm faced with the challenge of like, wow, what is it? What am I going to tell my four year old? You know what I'm saying? Like, when is the right time to have these conversations with my three year old? If you're clearing the trees for them, though, now and trying to make it easier, what are you trying to take out of the way? Or if you could and can't yet, what would you try to clear out of the way to make it easier? Um. You know, what what I'm doing with belief in fatherhood isn't so much like uh, I'm scared, so I'm doing this. It's like, let me educate you on what you don't know. Yeah. Uh, and so belief in fatherhood gives people an insight and a window into a black family. Hmm. Most of them don't know that we what we live like and what our house looks like. And you know what I'm saying? Like they think we live differently. They don't know what to expect because they have not experienced this. Right. Um, and so what's happening is they're running into uh, so like, like racial ignorance, you know what I'm saying? Or, um, uh, they, they, it's not racism. It's just, they, they don't know. They have no idea and they, they don't know any people who look like us. So, um, and we're not the type of people to be like, yeah, come over, you know what I'm saying? Right. <laughs> like, right, right. um, so, uh, it's just one of those like barriers that people don't understand. And so what I'm just trying to show is like, yo, but it's just like you, you know what I'm saying? We do things just like you and our families look just like yours. It's just that we're just not going to sugarcoat it. And, everything you think I'm going to say. Um, and yeah. And some people love it. Some people don't. And that's okay. Yeah. That's what yeah. I get. The most leaves. Like at church, people walk up to me like, thank you for what you're doing because you're giving us a window. Hmm. You know what I'm saying? And it feels weird. You know what I'm saying? Like, what do you man, think like, that you window's going to do? Like, what do you hope that it does for people? Um, you know, it, it just re retells the story. If they had any negative, um, you know, situations with, with, uh, a black man, then I can help show them that we're all not the way that they experience. Can you, know? you say like, um, is there a specific thing? Cause the way you're talking about it, it's like, basically we're not that different as different as you might think, but is there a specific, um, misunderstanding that you, that you think you're trying to clear up or one of many? Um, I don't think that someone walked up to me and was like, man, I didn't know you guys used Tide too. I used Tide. I thought y'all used African detergent. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't think it's as specific as that, but it's, it's very much like the conversation I had with my sons about being black and my sons were arguing about, yo, um, I'm black. And other ones like, nah, 
I'm you're brown. And he's like, no, right. I'm black. You know what I'm saying? Um, they're going back and forth. And I had this conversation about race um, that touched you, my church community a lot because a lot of the people in my church were like, yo, my son was watching that. And I would have never had a conversation about race if he never saw that video. You know what I'm saying? Um, and so what's happening is a lot of their kids are watching it because it's like a safe thing on YouTube for them to right, watch. Right. Um, and they're having these conversations like, what is black? Why is, why am I white? Why is he black? What's the difference? I know he's a different color, but why is, you know what I'm, And so these are conversations that it's like, oh, I'm activating these moments of presence that you have to have, you know? Yeah. Um, because what I know is that you can't tell people, um, well, well, people will tell you who they are unless you tell them first. You yeah. know what I'm saying? And so I'm basically telling the story like this is who we are as people. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's funny, man. Like and that's why I uh, like why I wanted to have this conversation with you on the show is because we're kindred spirits in that way. This, yeah. this show Breaking the Glass is about there are people of color. And, and for me, in my mind, anyway, a primary target audience was like the person of color in the professional environment that are succeeding out there and there are shows like that James Altucher has or Tim Ferriss or, you know, different people like that that are like success related. These are people that are doing well on their shows. And, and I'm like, you know, it's almost like the podcast version of black enterprise, so to speak, mm-hmm. that, um, but mixed with, I don't know, some, you name the culture magazine, but to show a, similarly, there's a window into how did that person get there? Like, what's different about this person as a person, a color professional versus this other person succeeding in whatever they're doing? And the reality is we all have to commit. We all have to work hard. We all have barriers. We all have backgrounds. And, and, and like you said, there are confidence issues we deal with when do we want to overcome. Um, but there, there are further, there are things like, so a personal thing for me that I I don't know that I've ever talked about publicly, but like there's a, there was this recent dove commercial, you know, uh, flap over the dove, basically theoretically anyway, trying to say that they wanted to wash away black skin, which wasn't what they were saying, but there was a big right. um, social media flap over it. Well, the truth is for me, I remember growing up on my own and I'm pretty dark skinned black guy going to, Ecker Drugs, which is now bought by CVS, to buy Ambi to, so I could lighten my skin. Yeah. You know, as a 12, 13, 14 year old, I remember myself thinking that. And I don't even yep. remember why. Like, I don't remember thinking I want to be lighter, but I remember thinking there's something wrong with my skin being so dark and I wish I could make it lighter. You know, I didn't talk to my parents about it. Nothing. <clears throat> and there are things like that that I think people from the outside just don't know. And and how they influence how we operate in the world. And if they did know that maybe that there could be things that they could do to change the environment, people who are not people of color to make it better. So in that way, we're similarly telling stories about, you know, I may talk about, you know, one of my guests said how they don't recruit at HBCUs and they're really smart. And the, and the, his executive responded with, well, we don't want to lower our standards. Like what he's saying by saying that they don't even know. So we're trying to put a window into stories and places to change the perception. So people know that there's a different view into what happens on. Maybe if you want to call it this side of the the perspective. So I, I'm really, I feel like a kindred spirit in a way telling the stories that you're telling. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's interesting about that dove thing is like, as we grow in influence, we have, you know, influence with the sponsors and the brands, you know what I'm saying? And so, um, 
I was actually on the phone with Dove like four days, like two days before that hmm. and talking to them about, um, you know, doing stuff for a dad campaign. And once that, that little thing came out, I was like, Hey man, I got to pull myself away from this because I don't want to be associated with your brand. If you guys are doing stuff like this, you know what I'm yeah. saying? And so, um, I had the opportunity now to like talk to them and just tell them in ways where they can improve and just, you know, not trying so hard to appeal to every race, just make the dope product and include us in the branding, you know? Um, and How so do you balance that out. So now you have the opportunity to make a change, but their, their brand is tainted how are you navigating a how you should influence it b the sponsorship will help you know pay the bills and support the show how do you navigate that piece um you know thirstiness is is i've learned this from hip-hop like i've seen when dudes walk in a room and Nas is there and you know they lose their mind you know what i'm saying they become you know children you know uh because they see someone to influence and so i know that thirstiness isn't the way and that money isn't going to be everything you know yeah. right now i'm on the phone with um another like brand comp another big brand uh who's reviewed a video oh i'm doing a video for them and, and they've sent back notes like eight eight or nine times you know what i'm saying and yeah. even though the check is dope i'm almost ready to say you know this isn't worth my time because this is taking me the same amount of time I could have put out five videos. You know what I'm right. saying? So it's like, um, you know, we have to realize the power of our brand, you know, the power of who we are. And if I'm telling my kids all this stuff about who they are as men, who they are as children, like it may not be like popping, popping right now, but I know eventually it will be. Um, and I know the power in uh, just the community I've built and, how fast it's growing right now. And, and if I keep on a straight and narrow and everything goes smoothly where it can go yeah. and no one's going to put in more work than me. And so I realized the power of what I'm doing is it's a balance, yeah. you know, um, the money isn't really that important when you have your, your name attached to it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, another, one other technical question in terms of sponsorships, how are you navigating that piece? So obviously what you, what I hear you saying is you built the brand first and the platform and now you're, you're taking whatever opportunities come, but how has that been getting sponsorships? What's, what does that look like in terms of the process? It's been really cool. Um, it's been, it was at first it was really hard. Uh, but I have to say like, you know, when I, when I had a manager, he was doing a really good job with that. Um, the whole thing is like, you can get sponsorships all day. The thing is, are they going to pay you? You know what oh, I'm okay. saying? Like yeah. it'd be different to get like free gum. But then if, uh, you know, five gum gives you $10,000 to put their gum in your video, then that's different, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, um, the hard part is negotiating the numbers, not getting the brand deals, mm -hmm. um, because brands come, uh, this year was a pretty big year for us, uh, but also a very like learning and telling year. Um, I, I became a Best Buy ambassador. Uh, I get all, I get a bunch of products for them to have to review, put on the channel. No problem. Um, I've been in communication with Dove, um, and you know, they give you free product and stuff like that. But I, you know, of course that didn't work out. They were trying to give gift cards or something like that too, but that didn't work out. Um, and so it's kind of like, man, do I really need soap in a gift card? Right. Nah, not as much as I need my name. You know what I'm saying? Um, and so it's just not worth it. Um, uh, I got a, a Sure sponsorship type thing. I got some mics from Sure, iPhone mics for vloggers. They they came out with, um, and then I have um, just recently I got a YMCA deal. 
So I just signed the papers yesterday that um like all the YMCA's in San Diego County, I'm actually going to be like a staff member and they're mm. you know you know, they they're gonna hit me up and give me like some dis discounts and free memberships and stuff like that to experience the YMCA. And Will you be speaking for them or something like that? Um not speaking for them, but just, you know, making content uh I got in, you. including them in into the brand because it really speaks a lot to what I'm doing. They're they're the only family gym. You know what I'm saying? Um yeah. and so uh that's a really big brand uh partnership for me that I've been trying to foster and you know Ekim my, my old manager did a lot of good stuff for that so if he if he finds new people he you'll be in a great place with him it's just that he doesn't know much about YouTube you know what I'm saying so like um we're we're trying to get deals for free uh product and we're supposed to be trying to get five stacks you know what I'm right. saying so right. it's just a business thing you got to learn you got to learn the game yeah and so if there's one thing you would tell people if you're doing brand, if you're trying to work with brands, here's one thing to keep in mind. Because since you've had a big learning year, what's it? What's a good big lesson learned? Um, you know, I, I would say don't quit your day job for sure. Um, the more the more money you have, the more leverage you have, and so you don't have to do stuff for free product. Um, I, I say that uh, working with brands is is really cool. It's just that. You know, sometimes you could look really thirsty if it doesn't yeah. commit to your, uh, if it doesn't work with your brand. So, um, it, this is, this is, uh, B2B, you know, some business to business transaction. And so you're doing something. And if so, like if someone comes to me and they're like, Hey, um, we have these, um, new earrings that da 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 da. And I'm like, well, that doesn't go with my brand. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I have to know that. And even if they're paying me, the money I need is still to go on my brand. Right. You know? So knowing that is key. And so just sticking to your story. So the, the last couple of things I wanted to talk about was you mentioned early on the, the driving force behind all this is your, is your wife asking you about your five-year plan. And then you think about oh, your 10 yeah. year plan and your 15 year plan. Can you talk about the importance of how that influences what you're doing and, and for what people need to think about in terms of making making a long-term plan and whatever they're doing being in it for the long haul? Yeah. Um, my wife, you know, having someone in your life to hold you accountable and you can allow them to ask you tough questions is more important than the goals. <laughs> Yeah, you know what yeah. I'm saying? Like, and then once you have that person, they can be a mirror to you and show you that you may need to get some stuff in line with goals. Um, and so goals are basically a map. You know, it tells you where you're going um, and how to get there. Uh, I would say that's key. You know, for long as I was doing music, never really wanting to. You know, I never wanted to be on stage. I never wanted to be a DJ. That you know, even poetry was something like I liked doing, but it wasn't like I loved it. Yeah. I was doing it to make money for the house, and I wasn't really committed to the story. So that's why, as soon as something came up, and I was like, "Oh, I'm attracted to the story," I was willing to let everything go. I right. canceled the Dream Junkies. Like I'm the one that broke up the group. Hmm. You know what I'm saying? Because I was like, "Yeah, man, I'm not going on tour with y'all anymore." Because I realized. 
you guys are more loyal to your friends than I am to like, I'm more loyal to you than I am to my family. You know what I'm yeah. saying? And so the story is everything. Um, once the story, once you find the story and the why it's like, yo, this funds everything. This gives me the energy to stay up late. This gives me the purpose. This gives me so much, you know, and then you just find ways to kind of attach things to your story. Yeah. yeah. Hey, the YMCA makes perfect sense because we are a family brand and I need to lose weight anyway. And <laughs> da, 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 and they have free child or well, they have child care for my kids. So I yeah. can go to the gym and you know what I'm saying? Like it's perfect. So, um, yes, that works on my story. I'll attach to you. Yes. Best Buy works on my story because I, I'm a tech guy, you know, as, as some way, you know? And so, um, and this new thing I'm doing is I just built this, uh, this puppet. Um, I had someone build a puppet for me. Okay. Um, and so this is basically another avenue for me to start another channel and be another personality, um, but more to interact with kids. You know what I'm saying? So it's mm. like this old, old black dude um, <laughs> who, who's just always talking man, always talking trash, always uh, getting on your nerves, giving you advice, you know, like a nosy neighbor. Uh, and so he's going to come in as a part of the show um, and be a different channel. Nice. Very nice. I tell you what, man, my kids watch these kids learning to videos. And if it's got music associated with it, like you got, man, I, these videos have like hundreds of millions of views. Yeah. Um, so I'm sure it's, that that's, that's going to be a good one to, that we'll be looking out for too. Cause our kids are awesome. YouTube kids. Yeah, man. Everybody, you know, the YouTube is the wave. You know, I would never even take a show. If someone came in and was like, Hey, you know, TNT wants to pay you to be a nope. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's no way. It doesn't make any sense. I shoot, I edit, I market, I do everything. What do I need you for? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, well, what about the, the, the tower, you know, the audience, the built-in audience that they already have, like, cause Issa Rae was popular, but she, it exploded when she went on HBO. You, you, you wouldn't want to tap into that. Is that what you're saying? Um, I don't know if I would want to be Issa Rae. Uh, I understand. Yeah. I understand. I, I think, when you, when you go to that level, you also give over power, you give over schedule, you know, and I really like my life right now. I like the fact that I can take three days off. Yesterday we went to the pumpkin patch this morning. I made breakfast. You know, I'm on my own schedule. Uh, and there's no reason why I can't hit a million view. I mean, a million subscribers in a couple of years. Um, and I don't know if anybody could pay me for freedom, like, like pay me and take my freedom away. Yeah. Yeah, I, I love it, man. Um, so what uh, are three books that you would recommend or give as a gift? Um, I'm reading this book right now, um, and it's called The Thank You Economy mm. by Gary Vee. Yeah, um, good book. And it's, yeah, and it's basically... Um, the book that's really teaching me how to be appreciative because, uh, being abused and having like my mom is like my, you know, my enemy kind of, she wasn't my enemy enemy. I know that now, but, uh, she was at first, I really didn't grow up appreciating a lot, you know? And so this book teaches you how to appreciate people and, and, you know, give customer service. Well, and we're all in the customer service business. And I think that's one of the things I had the hardest uh, time with. Uh, another book is called parenting, uh, by Paul David Tripp. It's a, uh, it's a book on like 14 gospel principles, um, you know, teaching about, you know, parenting and how to be like a present parent, um, yeah. and not parenting from a place of trying to instill fear, but, uh, 
really in, instilling the gospel, you know what I'm saying? Uh, in every way. Um, and then, uh, I think, you know, one of my favorite books of all time and my favorite authors is, is Dr. Seuss. Um, green eggs and ham mm. is like, uh, you know, that's kind of the one for me. There's someone my kids like the most. And it comes to this point where this, this guy, thinks he knows what he wants. <laughs> he thinks he knows what he doesn't like. He thinks he knows what's the worst things for him. And then once he tries it, he's like, wait a minute, everything I thought has changed. Um, mm-hmm. And so Green Eggs and Ham for me uh, is just so crazy because Sam I Am is like this antagonist, but he's so persistent. He's like, yo, just try it. Just try it. Just try it. Just try it. And so many of us, uh, give up when someone says no the first time and yeah. we don't even know that it could change their whole life if we keep asking you know what mm-hmm. i'm saying and so um i don't know man i want to be like sam i am so bad <laughs> well you got two years worth of videos that i think prove that you got a little sam i am in you oh man you know um actually you know speaking of that i wrote a book um and that is you know what i'm working on right now it's supposed yeah. to go to printing soon and so the book is called uh, it's bedtime now. And it's basically what I'm going to be doing is I'm not going to be doing these videos forever. So I, uh, I'm writing books from inspired by episodes of the vlog. You know what I'm mm. saying? And so yeah. that you can have these bedtime stories of the chocolate babies and their, uh, crazy mishaps. And it's funny and it's fun. And the, uh, artwork is amazing. Done by my brother RJ, written by me and, uh, his wife, Emily. Uh, and it's just like, just fun thing, man. And so I'm working on that. And so that should be coming out, uh, hopefully before Christmas. How long is the book? Like how many pages? It's 27 pages. Man, it's like four lines. Like, you could have like 50 books. Yeah. You could have like a whole series of like, uh, I don't know the little series if you're reading my kids, but there are some, um, those tie the shoe books. I forget the cat's little name. There's a cat book that we read pete the cat pete the cat you could have a yep. whole series like pete the cat man man i mean that's you know ideally i want to have limited edition physical copies you yep. know whereas it's only like 500 of them uh there'll be more on the expensive side but it'll be signed by the whole family and i think that's one thing i treasure is like i still have my sam i am book for when i was a kid you know mm-hmm. what i mean my uh, green eggs and ham book for when i was a kid i, I love dr seuss um, and so those, those things are kind of irreplaceable for me. My, my kids fold the pages. I get irritated. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> my um, wife writes notes and books. I don't let her read my books cause she writes. Yeah, notes man. You got to hide those, man. Put a lock <laughs> on them things, man. So yeah. Um, I think, you know, when, when I drop that book, that's what I want to do is have a series of books and I just want to be an author. Yeah. 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 Who I want them joints been... to feel like retro, like Jordans, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. oh, we're putting this book back out, you know? Yeah. Man? No, that's I, I I definitely love it, man. Is there is there some person or people you would say have been important mentors for you? Oh yeah, man. Um, I have a few. Um, my 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 closest friend right now is uh, Pat Lynch. He's also the pastor at our church. He's also uh, the Chocolate Babies' goddad. Uh, he's yeah. like you know just this man, six kids. Um, they're all girls. You know, his wife is uh you know, one of my wife's closest friends, he is a white dude. His wife is black and Hawaiian, um, but he understands culture and he wants to help. You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah. In which ways he can. And, I, and he just became the pastor maybe two years ago. But 
uh, a lot of the stuff that is popping off in the social, in the, in the media anyway, and, you know, police brutality, he's had to kind of like respond to via pulpit and he's done an amazing job at that. And so that has kind of helped me like believe in him more, you know what I'm saying? Cause like, yo, he has my back, you know what I'm saying? And I'm willing to have his back as well. Right. Uh, another, another person is, um, oh, you know, besides that, he just ran like triathlon. He's like a crazy athlete. Um, but the other guy is, uh, my little brother's grandfather. We have different fathers. Um, this is a man, his name is Dr. Carson. Uh, he's related to, um, um, uh, Malcolm Jamal Warner. Okay. Um, and so he taught me how to play golf. He taught me, um, a lot about life. He's very like deep voice, older guy who just like is so patient and thoughtful and uh i don't know i'm just kind of mesmerized by his gentleness and i think about where i want to end up and i think about him Hmm. um the type of legacy i want to leave the type of children i want to leave around leave behind um and i feel like pat is you know 10 years older than me but he's definitely I'm going to be him along the way of becoming this other man. You know Mm -hmm. what I'm saying? So when I think of mentors, I think of like these pit stops uh, to our destination. Yeah. Um, And so like you'll become these men eventually or like them in some way. And so they're pretty honest, open book and tell me the truth about their life. And that's what I, I appreciate most. What do you do for fun? Uh, A couple, two, three things. You guys look like you have a lot of fun in your life, according to your vlogs. But what do you do? Yeah. Um, you know, work is really fun for me. Hmm. Um, I haven't in my life, I haven't really found stuff I was very passionate about. So I was very like lazy employee. Like I would be good for the first three months. And then after that, I realized I wasn't getting a raise. I was like, oh, all right. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I wasn't someone who was passionate about working on base or selling shoes or doing all that other stuff. So now that I found something that I love in video, I like uploading. I like the rush of pushing the button. And once it's uploaded, all these people flock to your channel. I love it. Um, I, I'm, I'm most, I'm most excited to drop content. Yeah. Other than that, I enjoy occasional game of disc golf. <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, my dad and I play sometimes and it's kind of the way that we hang out. Um, and we talk and we, talk trash um and you know it's kind of like the way that we communicate like we we hang out that way and so disc golf is big yeah okay and where can people find you online uh preferably i i I prefer to for people to watch the youtube channel um i believe that uh if it's for you it's gonna it's it's gonna hit you know, and if it's not for you, it's going to be really easy to tell. And it's not, it's not, not for a whole lot of people who just want to hate, you know what I'm saying? Like, unless they just want to hate, but it's, it's very like, I'm really proud of it. You know, it's the first time I can say like, yo, I'm, I'm proud of this project. Uh, besides a couple of albums I put out, uh, belief in fatherhood, the, the show, uh, is some, is somewhere where you can find us on YouTube. So please so, check that out. So would they, is it youtube.com slash something? Yes, it's slash belief in fatherhood TV and belief is spelled B-E-L-E-A-F. And do you want them to catch you primarily there? Yes. If you find me there, then you can find me at anywhere. Um, 
you know, if you want to follow me on Instagram, that works too. And that's probably where I'm the, the most active is on Instagram stories, uh, belief mail, B E L E A F M E L. Um, and, uh, you know, I have a website, but who goes, who goes to websites anymore? You know what I'm saying? Like it's, it's all about finding people on these, these different platforms. And so most people have YouTube, most people have Instagram. So check me out there. All right, sir. Well, belief, man, it's been a great conversation. Um, I love being yeah. part of it, man. And my guest today has been belief melanin. Word. Thanks, brother. I appreciate you, man. And thank you for your time and having me on here, bro.